Thank you for listening to this message from Rooted and Resolved. Good morning, guys. Um, Take your Bibles, if you would. Let's turn to the book of Luke. We'll be in Luke 17 this morning. And we're continuing looking at this series that we are calling Offering Generosity. And we're thinking in the month of November, as we kind of come into this Thanksgiving Christmas season, about about how we are called and have opportunity to give and minister and, and help out in so many different ways And what we should be offering to the Lord is generosity. When it comes to the work of the Lord, be it financially, be it our time, talents, abilities, that we think about how we can give all that we can to the Lord and offer generosity. The Lord loves a cheerful giver, we've read in previous weeks. And so that generous idea is is being so so cheerful in our giving and, and loving doing it out of our devotion to Him. So we're just looking at different aspects of giving. The first week that we were together, we talked about offering sacrifice. And when we offer sacrifice, we think about the fact that that sacrificial giving honors the Lord. Um, Even if the gift is small, it honors the Lord. But but if we just give out of comfort, then that doesn't honor anybody, even if our comfort's very large, even if the gift is very large. The second week that we were together, we looked at the aspect of offering action. And the idea that, that we empty promises, good intentions... That, that's, that's not no substitute for action, for actually going through and being generous, actually giving. Today we're going to be looking at the idea of gratitude because gratitude is such an important part of our giving. And so in offering gratitude, the story that we're going to look at today is going to show us that gratitude will lead us to the feet of Jesus. It's where gratitude will always take us. I found a story uh, where USA Today had reported about this man South African man who comes home, he finds nine men robbing his house. So as he comes in, he, he scares them off. They, they run away. But he chased after them and pushed one of them into the swimming pool in the backyard. And the, the guy was thrashing around, and obviously he couldn't swim. And so after a second of struggle, the homeowner jumped into the pool and pulled the robber out. And as soon as he gets him out of the pool, the wet thief pulls a knife out, screams for his buddies to come back, and threatens this guy who's just saved his life. The homeowner talks about what happens next. He said, we were still standing near the pool, so when I saw the knife, I just threw him back in. (laughs) But he was gasping for air. He was drowning. So I rescued him again. And I thought, this guy's got some nerve trying to stab me after I've just saved his life. So many times, we are the wet thief, right? We are so blessed. We have been given so much. And as, even as a people who are so blessed, we are not always grateful for what he has given. And so today, as we look and think about this component of giving, gratitude is so important because it deals with our motives. Anything that we've looked at this month has been dealing with, with the idea of sacrifice and, and even going to the story of Joash last week, the idea of, of just even intention and, and motive. It's, it, it needs to be in a genuine place, right? That's so important in, in what we're doing with our giving. And so anytime that we give, what we're doing is we're saying, God, thank you. That's a portion of what we're saying. We're saying, God, thank you for what you've given. We recognize that all that we have comes from you and we're so grateful. Lord, we're going to give back 
to the work of the Lord, be it through an offering, be it through service in our church, be it through good, something good that we do for other people, whatever it is, I'm going to give back in this way, and I'm going to be trusting that whatever I give, you're going to make up that difference. Lord, that you're going to continue to provide for me, for my family, in the ways that, we have in the, that you have in the past. And so when we come to Luke 17, we find this story, which is one that is, um, is, a, is a good Thanksgiving story to look at. Let's, let's read together in Luke 17, and we'll start in verse 11 and check out this story together and see how gratitude, offering gratitude takes us to the feet of Jesus. On the way to Jerusalem, Jesus was passing along between Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered a village, he was met by ten lepers who stood at a distance and lifted up their voices saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. And when he saw them, he said to them, Go, show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back praising God with a loud voice. And he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. He was a Samaritan. Then Jesus answered, Were not ten cleansed? Where are the nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, Rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. Let's take a look at this story, and it's a good, good one to consider as we think about celebrating Thanksgiving this week and what it means to offer gratitude in our giving. Let's start just by working through the elements of this story. And, and the first place I think we, you, that you see the big thing that stands out in this text to me is the miracle. So let's spend a little time talking about, first of all, the gracious miracle that happens in this text. You know, these guys were lepers, and those of you that have been in church for a long time, you, you are very familiar with leprosy. You've heard a pastor talk about it, all of those things, and I have done that. You know, and I want to do that today because there may be someone here that's not familiar with leprosy, right? But I found an extremely graphic, gross description that I want to read to you. This is William Barclay. And so um, what's interesting about what he notes here is, is that all leprosy is not the same. Leprosy may present itself in different ways, and what he's describing are the two ways that it might present itself. He said it might begin with little nodules that go on to ulcerate. The ulcers develop a foul discharge. The eyebrows fall out, and the eyes become staring. The vocal cords become ulcerated. The voice becomes hoarse, and the breath wheezes. The hands and feet always ulcerate. Slowly, the sufferer becomes a mass of ulcerated growths. The average course of that kind of leprosy is nine years, and it ends in mental decay and death. But leprosy might begin with a loss of sensation in some part of the body. The nerve trunks are affected. The muscles waste away. The tendons contract until the hands are like claws. There follows that ulceration of the hands and feet. Then comes the progressive loss of fingers and toes until at the end a whole hand or a whole foot may drop off. The duration of that kind of leprosy is anything from 20 to 30 years. It's a terrible kind of progressive death in which a man dies by inches. Leprosy, when you look to these guys, these 10 guys were living together in this little community together because leprosy would affect people in a way, as we've kind of read here, 
where their skin would be affected. They would be desensitized. They would have these growths on their body, this, this rash that you, you might think about, those ulcerated growths. And when that presented itself, they couldn't be around people. And so they would go to live together, and we, we often say things like a leper colony, right? We think about a leper colony. And these ten men were living together in that way. In the very first verse that we read, verse 11, it tells us a little bit about the geography, but the geography is only important for us to understand that this group of men who were living together were both Jew and Samaritan. It tells us that on the way to Jerusalem, that Jesus was passing along between Samaria and Galilee. So just note that he's kind of bordering these two different regions. Kind of in a broad sense, if you were to think about that kind of like a long nation of Israel, um, really like, let's just think about the three regions that are kind of important for us to kind of hold into our mind. That m most northern region would have been Galilee. That would have been where Nazareth was, Capernaum. Most of Jesus' ministry was in Nazareth. And then in the extreme southern part of that would be that Judea region. That would be where Jerusalem was, Bethany. But if you go to this middle section in between the two, that was Samaria. And so people would have to travel you know, through Samaria. A lot of times you know, there, was this, there was this animosity between Jew and Samaritans. The Jews were half Jew, half Gentile. They were, and so there was this animosity. The Jews looked down their nose on Samaritans, and Samaritans didn't like Jews. And so... There was this, this animosity between them. And so many times Jews would even, you know, travel around. You know, in the story of the woman in the well, we talk about him traveling around and going around Samaria. But Jesus said, I have needs to go through it. Here he's, he's kind of straddling this border. And so it's an area where there's men from Samaria, there's men from Galilee, there's Jew and, and Samaritan living together in this leper colony. We recognize that the, the one that comes back, it tells us that he was a Samaritan. We don't know that he was the only Samaritan in the group, but the fact that those things went away, those, those, um, those prejudices that they had for each other went away when this happened because you needed to rely on someone else. You had to care for each other, but they couldn't get close to another person. They were forbidden to go within, listen, get you guessed it, Six feet. They couldn't go within six feet of another person. Uh, with six feet of another person. And if the wind was blowing, it was a longer distance. It was like 50. You know, it was like a longer distance between the two. Think also about the idea that here these men would, would shout. They would, they would scream out to Jesus. They, were, they, were, they would have to say, unclean, unclean, you know, if a person was to get close to them. But here they see Jesus from far away and they scream. Remember that description that I read you about the nodules on the voice? How many of them with a hoarse voice screamed out to Jesus to come and, and help them? You know, leprosy would affect those nerves and it had, had this way of desensitizing and these awful growths that would be on you. And you felt very isolated because you had to be alone, away from your family, away from your friends. It was incurable. Apart from a miraculous intervention, there would be no cure, and death would come. According to this that we read earlier, within a decade, or maybe 20 to 30 years of intense suffering the whole time, but ending in this mental decay and death. These ten lepers stood at a distance, and they cried out for Jesus. And these men, they come. notice what they say in verse 13, Jesus, Master, 
have mercy on us. They know who he is and they recognize him and they shout out for him. They want to be cleansed. All 10 of these men cry out for Jesus' mercy. There's something going on there, right? Notice the words that are used here. They're very religious in a sense, right? They don't ask for Jesus' healing. They ask for his mercy. Later on in verse 14, it doesn't say that they were healed. It says that they were cleansed. There's something going on here because leprosy is this picture in Scripture of sin. And so what you have is is you have these men who are crying out to him to heal them. And notice what Jesus does. He doesn't touch them. He doesn't even offer words of healing. In verse 14, he says to them something that may be confusing if you don't know the context. He says, go and show yourself to the priests. Back in the Levitical law, if a person had miraculously been cleansed of leprosy, they would go to the priest and it would be up to the priest to declare them clean. There's actually what you see in that boring Leviticus panel. There's this beautiful picture in, 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 lep, in that ritual that they would do that kind of prefigures this idea of Jesus' death on the cross for us. It's this beautiful picture that, that by which we are declared righteous and declared clean by our trust in him. So they would have to go to the priest, and the priest would be the one that would declare them clean. But Jesus, when he says this to them, he doesn't heal them immediately. What we can gather from verse 14 is, is when they cry out for healing... Jesus sends them directly to the priests. You wouldn't go to the priest with ulcerated growths all over you. You wouldn't go to the priest with your hands clenched up like claws and and parts falling off, right? You wouldn't go to the priest looking like that. But Jesus tells them, I want you to go to the priest. They had to make a decision in that moment, right? There was something about faith in that moment where they had to respond in faith to the words of Jesus. They had to start walking. To It wasn't until they took off and headed toward the priests that there was a change. There was nothing different in their circumstances as they left Jesus. And you have to commend all 10 of them because they have some kind of faith. They know who Jesus is. They cry out for him. They call him master. They say, Lord, heal us, cleanse us, and in faith they turn and they begin to head toward the priest. He said to do this, we're just going to trust him. And all ten of them did that. And you'll notice that what happens is that they are cleansed on the way. The homiletic commentary says this. It says, every step they took away from the presence of Jesus was a proof that they trusted him. They took Jesus at his word and they soon realized the blessedness of doing so. This is faith. Constantly we stumble at the plainness and simplicity of this act of faith, trusting the bare word of God. I like that expression. So we often say, if I could only feel something, if I could see some improvement, if I could experience some joy, if I could have evidence in myself, then I would believe. But such language transferred to these patients of Jesus would run Let us first see some signs of the leprosy removing. Let us feel some pulse of recovered health. Then we will believe. Then we'll go to the priest for a certificate. Out thus, it would be recognized at once as the language of downright unbelief. These men had to respond to Jesus in belief and faith and head toward the priest in order to see that cleansing come. 
What strikes me at reading this is how briefly the description of the miracle is. Did you notice that? It's an amazing thing that happened. It's incurable. Imagine how their bodies would have been wasted away. Have you ever had, like I think about one time when I mashed my finger pretty good and that finger was all, you know, you just, it's all boogered up. You just know what I mean? It's just, it just looks rough. It's all out of place. And you think to yourself, I wonder if that thing's ever going to look the same way again. Can you imagine the look? The way that they looked? And then as they went on their way and somebody noticed and recognized and they pulled a sleeve back. They pulled the hem of that tunic up and looked at their legs. They began to be shocked and amazed by what had happened. Think about the excitement, the joy, and look at how Luke describes it. As they went, they, here's, a, here's his description of the miracle. They were cleansed. Three words to describe this miracle that happens to them. See, there's so many parallels, and one of the things that we have to think about when we think about this gracious miracle that we see happening to these men, it was their healing from leprosy. But what you see symbolized and prefigured in what we've already read is the gospel. Because if, if leprosy is this picture of sin, if it's this representation of sin, the same thing that leprosy does, sin does to us. The same way that sin desensitizes us and distorts us and and damages us. It's what leprosy does. And when we think about the way that sin isolates us, now listen, sometimes our bad decisions isolate us from friends or family or people that we've wronged, and there's that isolation. But the real tragedy of isolation that comes from our sin is the separation from our Creator, the separation from God, who loves us and who cares for us. But there is no relationship in our sin between us and our, and our creator who we're to glorify with our life because our life is lived in rebellion. There's this isolation from him. We're not with him. We're against him, in fact. This sin is incurable in the sense that there is not one single thing that you and I can do to rid ourselves of that and to make ourselves right before God. And ultimately, the same way that these men's lives would have ended in decay and death, the Bible tells us that the end result of sin, when it is full grown, is death. The wages of sin is death. This is the end result of sin. It's the end result of leprosy. And you understand what's happening with these men is, is that Jesus gives them this direction, and then they were to head off in faith, And for every one of us in the room, today, if there is a recognition in your life about your sinful state, you walked in here not knowing it, but it's like the Holy Spirit would hold a mirror up to your life and you would recognize and see the ulcerated growths and the foul discharge and the state of a maimed, a body maimed by sin, a life maimed by sin. It's incurable. And the only hope that we have is Him But what is required of us is a response in faith, a response to come to him. You cannot get your life in order first. You can't can't get yourself clean and and then be cleansed, you see. It's, It's when you respond in faith to him. It's when you respond. 
that we experience this cleansing. And so these men, these 10 men, are a great example to me of a gracious miracle that if you're a believer here today, you have experienced that gracious miracle in your life. You know what it is to be sin sick, to be dead in your trespasses and sin, and him gloriously save you. These 10 men show us the gracious miracle, but I want us to focus on this one single man starting in verse 15 that's, that's highlighted. So you have a gracious miracle, but the second part of this story we should focus on is the grateful man. Because by the time you get to verse 15, at this point in the story, all of these men are the same. There's no distinction between these 10. All of them were lepers. All of them cried out to Jesus. All of them stepped out in faith. All of them were healed. But at this point, everything begins to change. Here, this one man is highlighted. And because you only have one highlighted and you have these other nine who we'll focus on in just a minute, who do not return, it, this portion of the, of the sermon reveals to us that it's very possible for us to experience the blessings of God and yet still have this ungrateful spirit about us. But not this man. He remembers where his healing has come from, and he returns to Jesus. When this story begins, all ten of these men stood at a distance, it says in verse 12. They stayed far from Jesus. But what we find by the time we get to verse 16 is that one of them has come, and he has found himself at the feet of Jesus. Notice some of the things that have happened in this Story. If you start in verse 15, there are a few actions that you should look at from this, from this man when he saw that he was healed. He turned back. His mind recalled and went back to what Jesus had done for him. Sometimes in our state of, of when, when, we're, when we're not grateful, what's going on in our brains is just a lack of remembrance. To where those things come from. As Colton said today, when you spend some time counting your blessings, the things that have gone on under the surface of your brain, they kind of rise to the surface. You begin to see the things that you have. You begin to experience that gratitude for what God has done in your life. And when you focus on those things, we should remember and recognize where it comes from. And while these men had enough wherewithal to call on him as master and ask and beg for his mercy... This is the only one who turns back. Look at what else he does. It says, and I love this phrase. He says he was praising God with a loud voice. So when I was looking at some words this week in the words like in the original language, loud voice in Greek in, is megaphonus. It is megaphone. He megaphoned the praise of God. He, he sounded out, he shouted out with a loud voice. He told about what had happened to him. He was praising God. He had a great attitude about what was going on in his life. Just that alone. Just stop right there about those two things that he did. If we want to be like this grateful man, if we want to be a person who's grateful for what Jesus has done for us, how many times do we fail to recognize and remember what it is and we're down in the mully grubs about what's going on in this life? But Colton said it earlier. Every one of us, if you know Christ as your Lord and Savior, even if you do not have an abundance in this life, this life is not, under the sun is not all there is. We should have eternal eyes about things. 
And so we should definitely recognize all that he has done for us. And then in addition to that, if we recognize it, instead of moaning and groaning and complaining, we should megaphone the praise of what God has done. Megaphone our gratitude to the world about all that he has done for us. Keep going. It says in verse 16 that he fell on his face at Jesus' feet. Think about that posture. He's recognizing that he does not deserve what has just happened to him. He falls on his face. He's, he's in this very humble position before the Lord. He recognizes that he doesn't deserve it. Jesus did not have to do it. Harken back to their cry. They ask for Jesus' mercy. Have mercy on us. Look at us in, our, in this pitiful state that we are in and then show us mercy. And then he gave thanks, it says in verse 16, to the Lord for what he had done for him. It's this attitude that we are to have that praises God, it pleases God, it points people to God. It's, that was just right off the bat right there. It's not even in my notes. That would be a great sermon outline. I'm going to have to pull the recording for that one. That might be one. That might be a good alliterated outline before long. Hebrews 13 in verse 15 says this, Through him then let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name, megaphone that praise. Do not neglect to do good and share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. You know what is, um, you know what's amazing when you think about our Lord is for all that he does for us. He doesn't demand our thanksgiving, but it's pleasing to him. It's pleasing to him. And he uses our responsiveness to show us something about him. Because this man is going to experience something with Jesus that the other nine do not. And I would say to you that if you know him as Lord and Savior, but you never consider what he did for you, and you are often living life taking for granted what he has done for you, I would say that Far less about him has been revealed to you than the person who relishes what they have in him that often considers how they were in the pit and how he lifted them out of the pit. What God's doing every time those thoughts are coming into our brain is he is pleased and he is revealing more of himself to us. Now think for a minute, as I did at that thought, about how much more we could know about him and his heart that we don't know because we haven't considered what he has already done for us. Notice where this, where this man ends up, though. At the end of this section here, at the end of verse 16, this man who was once far off from Jesus is now at Jesus' feet. Because you see, gratitude will bring us to the feet of Jesus. Listen to me. If everything you have, every good thing that you have has come from him, He's the one we should be thanking for all of it. The only thing that we can we can't trace anything to our to our uh, our, our intelligence or to our good looks or to our creativity or to our just our our uh, our, our linguistic ability. All of it comes from him. It all of it. 
Every possession that we have, every advancement we've made in life, every good thing that has happened to us, every family member, every friend, if everything is a gift from him, then gratitude for all of that should drive us to the place where it came from, and that's at the feet of Jesus. You see in this story, a gracious miracle and a grateful man, but let's look at one final portion to this story, and that's the grave mistake that these nine men make. 1 Thessalonians 5 and verse 18 says, listen to this verse. Give thanks in all circumstances. I read that right. That's not a typo. Give thanks in all circumstances. Look at the last part of it. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. So that would mean to me that a lack of gratitude is to disobey the will of God for your life. These men that do not return, if you put yourself in their shoes, it is very easy to understand why they didn't return. They want healing, but I'm convinced that they're not, just thinking about my own experience in life, I'm convinced that they're they're not fully aware of all that that means when they ask Jesus for it. They just have known that their life has been misery and it would all be different if this was, but they haven't really thought about the details of that. But imagine what happens when they turn and they head toward the priest to get that certificate, trusting him in faith, and then they realize when they look and they pull back those sleeves and they look at their legs and they see, when the first person notices and checks it out for them, and then the others start looking. And then they all realize, all 10 of them realize that all of them have been cleansed. There's this moment right there on the road where it's nothing but a party. You know what I mean? I imagine them jumping up and down, hugging each other, laughing, slapping each other on the back, just, you know, just happy. They just, like they just won the championship. You know what I mean? They're just ecstatic, having a great time. But then, at that point, they begin to consider what's next. They begin to think about what's next And all of those things that they, I'm sure, have thought about many times before, but in this moment, those things are now a reality. They can really happen. Maybe there was one of them that thought to himself, it's been years since I held my wife. I got to get to the priest so I can go straight home, hold my wife. You know, when I left home, My wife was pregnant, and I've got a newborn son that I've never held. I'm going to the priest. I'm going to the priest to get that certificate because I just want to see my boy. I just want to be with him. My shop, the doors of my shop have been closed for two years. I'm sure it's dusty inside and everything's in disrepair, but I'm ready to get that business going again. Get that certificate from the priest. I can go get busy. I have no doubt that some of them knew that that, I mean, they remembered, of course, that that healing came from Jesus. But remember, empty promises and good intentions are no substitute for action. And in that moment, that was less important than all of these other things. And so they head off. They head off to the priest to be able to go see their wife, to be able to go hold their son, to be able to go 
check out their business. And in doing so, by, by notion of practicality, they forgot the one who had blessed them with this. Warren Wiersbe says, Too often we are content to enjoy the gift, but we forget the giver. We're quick to pray, slow to praise. J.C. Ryle, the words that fell from our Lord's lips on this occasion are very solemn. Were there not ten cleansed? But where are the nine? The lesson before us is humbling, heart-searching, and deeply instructive. The best of us are far too like the nine lepers. We're more ready to pray than to praise, more disposed to ask God for what we have not than to thank him for what we have. Murmurings, complainings, and discontent abound on every side of us. We know that if you were to ask them, if they were to get home to their wife, you know, if their son were to say to them, where have you been, daddy? If customers were to drop in on the shop and say, so where have you been all this time? I thought you had leprosy. How is it possible that you're back here? It's possible that they may have told the story of Jesus. They didn't have amnesia. They remembered where their healing company had come from but so many times our lack of gratitude is just thoughtlessness we fail to consider where it has come from and when we do other things are more important than serving in that way when you think about the differences between these men as I said before one of them had this experience in verses 15 and 16 that the others did not have. There's another experience in verse 19. Look at what Jesus says in verses 17 through 19. He asked those questions, which we're assuming are rhetorical. There's no answer given. Were not 10 cleansed? He knows exactly how many were cleansed. Were there, where are the nine? Where are those that didn't return? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner, this Samaritan, And then he said to him in verse 19, Rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. Who's the only one to hear that? Who's the only one to hear that? The other nine received some sort of healing. But this man, it seems what Jesus is doing is something more internal. It's this Forgiveness of sin, this salvation sort of experience. It's something that's happening there where Jesus is saying to him, not only is your body healed and cleansed, but your sins are forgiven you. Your faith has made you well. This is different than what the others experienced. This physical healing came to the rest of them, but this is something more eternal. Think for just a minute about what it is to be grateful to God for all the physical things in our life and to never consider or to never even have the spiritual experience of salvation in order to be thankful for what he has given us in Jesus. They made this grave mistake because they do not recognize where their blessings have come from. And I don't know about you, but when I read a story like this, the question that we all have to consider is, is like, how often am I like the nine? It's the question that's asked in that quote I read a while ago. How often are we like the nine? How often am I like that? 
What, what does it look like? How often do I just thoughtlessly live in ingratitude when I have been blessed so much by our Lord? How often do I find myself, like these nine, somewhere else other than at the feet of Jesus? Because, you see, if gratitude takes us to the feet of Jesus, if true thanksgiving to the giver for what he has given takes us to the feet of Jesus, how often are we somewhere else? If it means that to be, um, as we read there in 1 Thessalonians, if it means that, that, that we're to give thanks in all circumstances, and that's the will of God for us, when we're doing something other than the will of God, that means we're somewhere else other than at his feet. When you look at this story altogether, those ten men give us a lesson in the sense that all of us are sinners in need of a Savior. All of us are infected with that sickness of sin that none of us can remedy on our own. We must respond in faith to him who has, who has given this command to our heart through the nudgings of the Holy Spirit. This, these nine men show us that we often are so busy with our lives and with other things that we fail to remember where the real blessings have come from. But this one man teaches us that gratitude takes us to the feet of Jesus. And so this grave mistake that we often make is to find ourselves somewhere else other than at the feet of Jesus. You know, when I consider, you may say, David, you don't know all that's going on in my life. It's real hard for me to be grateful right now about that. This, this week... Um, I had the opportunity to share the pilgrim story, to share that story. And I won't give you the whole, I won't give you all the gory, boring details. But you know that in 1620, 102 pilgrims left out of Plymouth, England, headed to what would be Plymouth, Massachusetts, to escape religious persecution. On the way across the ocean, one lady fell overboard. It was Dorothy Bradford, William Bradford, the governor, William Bradford. His wife fell overboard and was lost, but there was a baby that was born while they were at sea. And so 102 pilgrims left Plymouth, England, and 102 pilgrims arrived in Plymouth, Massachusetts. And there's lots of blessings of God that I haven't even covered at this point, but that journey across the ocean was very difficult, the second half of it. The first half was pretty good, but the second half was miserable. And then they arrive and they settle in, and before they know it, winter's on them. Many of them die, some of them from starvation. I think at one point they've rationed out and are down to four kernels of corn a day per person. Some of them die to exposure, some of them die to sickness, but by the time that first winter is over at Plymouth, 102 pilgrims had arrived and only 52 remained. God brought those Indians into their life and there's so much more than the elementary school version of that story, you know, but those Indians arrive and, and by the time the, the next winter rolls around, they are in a vastly different place. So different. They're thriving as a community. They have learned to trap, and that has been very financially lucrative for them. They are at peace 
with the Indians around them, and there's you know virtually no threat of Indian attack in their community. Things are very different. But a year later, they didn't focus on the fact that half of them were dead. They didn't focus on the fact that the, that the second half of that journey was so miserable. They didn't focus on the fact that they had come across the ocean not knowing how to do anything that was going to be helpful for them when they got here. They didn't focus on all of that. In that fall of 1621, when things were so much better, William Bradford asked them to come together, and they had that meal to celebrate, which was, ended up being three days with all those pilgrims around them, Chief Massasoy and all those other Indians coming together. I think the story is that they invited Chief Massasoy and, and uh, you know, Squanto and all those whatever else, and he, he got it confused and invited the whole tribe, you know. But they also brought food, so it kind of worked its way out, you know. But they all brought food, and they had this meal together. I want to read something to you that comes two years later. This is Governor William Bradford. Consider what they had been through and notice where his focus is. Inasmuch as the great father has given us this year an abundant harvest of Indian corn, wheat, peas, beans, squashes, garden vegetables, has made the forest to abound with game and the sea with fish and clams, and inasmuch as he has protected us from the ravages of the savages, has spared us from pestilence and disease, has granted us freedom to worship God according to the dictates of our own conscience. Now I, your magistrate, do, do proclaim that all ye pilgrims with your wives and your little ones do gather at your meeting house on your hill between the hours of 9 and 12 in the daytime on Thursday, November 29th of the year of our Lord, 1,623, in the third year since ye pilgrims landed on ye pilgrim rock, there to listen to ye pastor and render thanksgiving to ye almighty God for all his blessings. These people who had been through so much were not focused on all the bad that had happened to them. They were praising God for all that he had done to bless them. As Colton told us at the beginning, we all have a lot to be thankful for. And when we count them and we remember it, I think it will take us to the feet of Jesus. Don't make the grave mistake. Don't make the grave mistake of being ungrateful for what he's given to us. We should have a heart that's offering gratitude, like a grateful leper, like a thankful pilgrim, like a saved sinner who has much to megaphone about when it comes to praise. Thank you for listening to this podcast. Rooted and Resolved is a ministry of Center Grove Baptist Church. You can find us at centergrovebaptist.com.